Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. You guys have been leaving us reviews and requests on what you want to hear us talk about. And money keeps coming up as one of the top topics you guys want to talk about. And so I finally decided, you know what, I better reach out to a friend of mine. And we've been pals for a long time. David Bach is just a phenomenal, trusted advisor when it comes to the financial world. He's written 11 national best-selling books. That's right, 11. Over 7 million books in print. Some of my favorite and most recommended books. We'll talk about a couple of those today. David and I have shared the stage together many times in many different formats. In fact, David, I don't know if you remember this. The last time we spoke at an event together was at the Richard Nixon Presidential Library, if you can remember that. That was amazing, actually. (laughs) Well, delighted to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me today from New York. I'm looking forward to having a good time with you, bro. Well, Brian, it's good to see you, buddy. And, you know, I'm jealous because you don't age. So, you know, it's, it's great to be here with you. You look fantastic. And I'm excited to share some great advice with your listeners because I know you got hundreds of thousands of them right now and they're going all over the world. Yep. Wherever we're talking to you, it is a privilege to be with you today. Yes, sir. Well, we're glad to have you. And I'm excited to get you exposed to our podcast audience who are going to lap this stuff up. And finance is a big issue. It seems like the more we know, the less we do in regards to this. As we get into this, Dave, I mean, there's a couple of books that you have in particular that I just love to death that I'm going to recommend to our audience today, and we can delve in there a little bit. But why do you think people just screw up the whole financial piece so bad, David? Why is it they're in such dire need of your help? Well, I'll tell you exactly why. How about that? Because I know the answer. I really believe, Brian, the answer is that we don't teach the fundamentals of money in school. Mm. So you get all the way through high school. In a rare occasion, maybe there was a class that some special teacher taught a little bit on personal finance, but for the most part, because it's not a part of our required core curriculum. In other words, you're not scored on it. It has nothing to do with graduating. Because we don't make financial literacy mandatory in school, People literally get out of high school, and usually they get out of college, Mm -hmm. and they have zero basic financial knowledge. And so unless you've been really lucky where you had a parent teach this to you, and a lot of it's just like basic stuff, but fundamentally teach it to you at home, then, you know, what is happening? You've got kids going off to college making all the wrong mistakes, borrowing tons and tons of money. We've got trillion dollars now in student loans, getting tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt getting ripped off at every corner, and so people start off in a financial hole because, candidly, they weren't taught. Right. And it's shameful. It needs to be fixed. You know, I'm holding my book right now, The Automatic Millionaire, which mm-hmm. this book sold a million and a half copies. Truthfully, everything that's in this book, you should have learned it before you were in 10th grade. Yeah. So, you know, this is not a complicated financial book. Like, you read it in 90 minutes, and you can put the plan in place in less than an hour. You shouldn't be able to get through 10th grade and not know this basic stuff. 100%. not taught. You know, it's interesting. My son went to SMU and played football, and they have down there the Cox uh, School of Business, one of the top business schools in the country. Bunch of great kids, and they're taught some great stuff down there. And so a bunch of these kids decided, after they graduated, to get together and start a business. And they reached out to AJ and said, hey, could Mr. B check in with us, right? So some of these guys are former football players, and they always referred to me as Mr. B. 
So I, I was down in Texas. I said, okay. So I sat in, and they'd had business planning, and they were applying all this great stuff they'd learned, and forecasting, and this and any other. And I sat down. Okay, let's talk about it. And I'm, I'm asking the basic stuff. Income less expense equals profit. What's it going to cost to make? What are your expense? I mean, I was speaking Swahili, and I was the complete killjoy. Here I am. I have got eight college graduates that went through a, a university that cost, you know, 250 grand for them to graduate from and a really good school, and they didn't have a notion. I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, and just to confirm, I've asked our audiences, you know, we have two, 3,000 people in an auditorium, and I'll say, how many of you in here, by a show of hands, were raised by someone who taught you to save, budget, and invest? And I have never seen more than 3% of an audience raise their hands. So, you know, you're talking about we weren't trained in school. What basically means is this. We're illiterate. We're financially illiterate, and the system is set up for you to fail. So a lot of companies get rich on your ignorance. You know, the banks get rich on your ignorance. The credit card companies get rich on your ignorance. The car companies, the insurance companies. Everybody who's in business, for all intents and purposes, is quite frankly designed to separate you from your paycheck. Yeah. You know, what I teach is very, like, it's important to have the right mindset, and I'm a big believer in self-help and motivation, but the real key with making your financial life work is it's putting some simple systems in place that don't require positivity. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like yeah. it's automation. I teach, you, you shouldn't have to have discipline in order to be wealthy, because mm-hmm. you don't need to be disciplined to be wealthy. What you need is an automatic plan that won't fail, but we're kind of going off on a tangent here. I will say this. We were talking about millennials before we started on this podcast. There was a recent statistic that came out from the Federal Reserve here in the United States that 47% of Americans right now can't get their hands on $400 in case of emergency. Mm. $400. So in essence, what they said was that almost half of Americans actually have less than six days of expenses set aside. Mm. Well, that's a disaster. The good news is... I can tell you with a fact, you don't have to make a lot of money to be rich. Mm-hmm. If you could start saving as little as a dollar a day, five dollars is better, but a dollar a day, you can get started on the road to financial security. Right. And I've taught millions and millions of people this concept called the latte factor. Yes. That, you know, people go, I don't have the money to save, David, you haven't seen my expenses. And, you know, I'll go, well, you're sipping a latte right now. How much does your latte cost? Well, my latte costs five bucks. And I run through the math with people in seminars, and you've seen me do this. I've had 10, 20, 30,000 people sometimes where I'll go through the latte factor and go, look, guys, $5 a day, yep. saved automatically. You can make coffee at home for a nickel. Take that $5 a day. Stick it in your retirement account. Here's where you put it. You do it automatically. By the time you reach retirement, at a decent rate of return, you have somewhere between a half a million to a million dollars in savings. Right. And I just did this speech the other day for the military. I was in Washington, D.C., running through the numbers. And I said, you know, I've been talking about the latte factor now for almost 20 years. So right. originally, lattes were 350 Yeah, right. A woman, was, a woman was laughing in the room, Brian, and she's got her latte, right? She's in her military outfit, and she's 26 years old. And I go, okay, so she's cracking up. I go, how much was your latte today? And she goes, it was $5.75. Yeah. I said, okay, how much was the muffin? She's like, it's three fifty. So yeah. everybody's cracking up, but like everyone can relate, right? I'm yeah. like, so it's not five bucks anymore. You go to Starbucks, yeah. you're spending ten bucks. Now, here's really the key to building wealth, which I think if you hear this message, you can change your life because people get confused about the latte factor. It's not about giving up your latte. Yeah. It's a metaphor. It's about rethinking money in your life and realizing 
that five to ten dollars a day is enough to completely change your life. Ten dollars a day is three dollars a month. It's thirty six hundred dollars a year. That money is enough to get anybody listening on yeah. the course to being financially secure. And I'll tell you something else that is a lesson my grandmother taught me when it comes to money. It's funny because I've been saying this more and more, and people really kind of crack up, but then they get it. If you're going to go to Starbucks every day, and I'm not picking on Starbucks. I'm going to use them as an example. If you're going to go to Starbucks every day and you're not going to give up your latte, that's cool. Then you know what you should do? You should buy the stock in that company. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to spend $5 a day at Starbucks, you ought to be buying $5 a day of Starbucks stock. Mm-hmm. Because that same person who's spending money every day at Starbucks or every day, you know, think of a million different other companies right. that spend money in every day, those companies are flourishing. And so that's what my grandmother taught me. Sure. I bought my first stock at age seven. It was in McDonald's. That was my favorite restaurant in the whole world. She's like, you can be somebody who works here, makes minimum wage. You can be somebody who eats here and spends money, or you can own this place. And when you own it, you get paid on everybody. I love it, and we're going to come back to that because I love the fact that it was Grandma who set you on the road to financial well-being and how we're missing so much of that in our culture today. But I love the latte effect. I know that you have the latte effect calculator on your website. It's great stuff. Here's the dynamic. For example, the whole automatic millionaire thing. I started, I've been married for 27 years. The first week we got married, we decided to do something. On the third of every month and on the 17th of every month, we were going to make a withdrawal. Automatically, the bank would take 50 bucks and put it in from our checking into our savings. That decision is what led me to become a multimillionaire. No question. That is a fact. My wife and I made that decision the first week we were married. Every two weeks, money went from our checking to our yep. savings. Now, over the years, the numbers have changed. We don't put 50 bucks every two weeks in now. But out of that came a slush fund. And that's why when I first read The Automatic Millionaire, I'm like, this guy's inside my head. He just has it more clearly stated than I was doing it. And that's why when I read the book, I was like, my God. You know, because I felt like I was doing the right thing, but I didn't really know it. And when I read The Automatic Millionaire, not only did I know it, but it also showed me a few other ways to go that helped me. And it's a brilliant book. I recommend it to everyone I speak to. And one of the things we're talking about here today, and we're going to delve in there. But out of that 50 bucks every two weeks, ultimately, those numbers grew as my business grew. That's where my reserves came. Now, all of a sudden, I had peace of mind if something bad happened. The next thing, more reserves came. And now, all of a sudden, because I busted my hump over years, said no to some things that I wanted, let it build. When my first real estate investment opportunities came up, I wasn't borrowing money to make the down payments and risking it all like so many people do. It was my hard-earned cash that went into those investments and then those investments and those investments. Now, I did well as a real estate agent, but I did really well as a real estate investor. And that ultimately built a fortune that allowed me to pursue my passion to go impact and improve the lives of people, which led to the next fortune. But it all started for me because on the third of the month and the 17th of the month, 27 years ago, my wife and I started taking 50 bucks out of our account. So I'm a testimony for the automatic millionaire and how powerful it is and how well it works. Let's flip the gear here because I just want to go, you know, you and I are old friends and we can chat and I think people will benefit from this. You mentioned something that's huge, which is you had a wise grandmother who gave you some insight. And we should delve in there a little bit. But ultimately, I believe in the culture we live in today, for whatever reason, common sense is not common practice. 
common sense is no longer common knowledge. I think many younger folks feel like they have all the information they need because they have an iPhone. They can get access to all the information they need. We're drowning in information, but we're starving for wisdom. Let's go back to when grandma first got you on the road to investing. Yeah, so my grandmother's story is a remarkable story, right? We were talking about you know, starting from nothing. And the first book I wrote was a book for women and money. It's called Smart Women Finish Rich. That's what Love really us. started my entire financial literacy mm-hmm. mission campaign, everything that I've done. That, that really started it all. And it started with my grandmother. So my grandmother at 30 was broke and worked at Gimbel's department store in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Both her and my father worked. They were not wealthy by any means. Neither had a college education. And, you know, the story my grandmother tells is that at 30, she had that moment where she just she looked around in her life, and she said, this is not the life that I want. Mm. You know, she said to my grandfather, this isn't working. And my grandfather, Jack, said, oh, what's not working? Because when we men hear, by the way, this is not working, that's not a good thing to hear. <laughs> and she said, you know, if you have a note, in case you have a notice, we're poor. Yeah. And he said, oh, come on, you're overreacting. And she's like, no, I'm not overreacting. We, we don't own anything. We don't have any money. Like, we're working paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And she's like, this is not how I want to live. And well, what do you want to do about it? Now, in her case, she said, what I want to do is I, we're going to start saving money. We're going to start brown bagging our lunch. Mm. That's literally what she did. She said, we're going to brown bag our lunch, and we're going to start saving. At the time, it was like a dollar a week, mm. which was a lot of money back then. Sure. And she's like, we're going to save a dollar a week, and then I'm going to learn how to invest it. And the true story is that she goes down to a brokerage firm, and the broker, she doesn't go with my grandfather. She goes down to a brokerage firm, and the broker says to her back there, because they call them stockbrokers, ma'am, come back with your husband, and then we'll talk to you. Wow. Yeah, how about that? And my grandmother was super strong and feisty, and she said, there's five of you guys on this street. If you don't want my money, I'll go next door. And they said, come on, sit down, and we'll open up an account. So she opens up that account. She saves money all year long. She gets teased from all her friends who go out to lunch. Why are you brown bagging your lunch, Rose? You're so cheap, you know. So she goes through a lot of pain with that. At the end of the year, all the investments that she was recommended by that stockbroker, she lost everything. Mm. She didn't tell my grandfather, by the way. (laughs) And then she's like, okay, well, I can't give up. She's like, I realize that I'm getting my advice from the wrong people. And she went out and started taking classes. And she actually found a millionaire money mentor. She knew somebody who was a millionaire. Mm. She started sitting by his side and learning how to invest. She started taking night classes, and she learned how to invest. And over her lifetime, she became a millionaire. Mm. And then she passed those lessons on to my father. He became a financial advisor. He became a millionaire. And she passed it on to my sister and myself, and we became millionaires. The whole family became millionaires based because of one woman's decision mm. to get financial literacy. Mm. And what she did, and this is where I always say, you know, you can teach your kids about money at a really young age. She literally, at seven years old, made me at McDonald's go up to the manager and ask if the company was publicly traded. <laughs> and literally... I had to go walking up to the manager, and I thought, you know, back then they had this show called Candy Camera. I think he thought he was on Candy yeah, Camera. Yeah, sure. And he came back to the table where I was seeing my grandmother and said, yes, ma'am, we're publicly traded, and we're on the New York Stock Exchange. And she said, oh, I know that. I just wanted my grandson to learn how to ask. Wow. And then that day she took me home, and she literally, Brian, she took the Wall Street Journal. I'm seven years old. She opened up the Wall Street Journal. She circled McDonald's, showed me how it was MCD then took me over to the television set and showed me, like, see all those, all those things running across the bottom of the television screen? That's called a ticker tape. And McDonald's is going to go by in a second. You're going to see it go by. It's its price. 
So you sit there and you tell me what the price is and I'll come back. So I'm watching it as a little kid. Wow. And then she's like, and then, and then she's like, you're going to save your money and I'm going to help you buy your first stock. And that's how I got started. And nine years old, I'm at Disneyland. I'm going running up to Mickey Mouse and I'm asking Mickey Mouse if you're publicly traded. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. You know, that was the lesson that changed my life. And then, and then really, like you, you know, I didn't do it just because of that. I didn't become a prodigy. I mean, I, I made a lot of mistakes. I went to sure. college. I got in credit card debt. I was starting to make a lot of money, still spending it all. And then at Morgan Stanley, I'm a financial advisor, and I come across this couple of the McIntyres who's, who's in the, the book, Automatic Millionaires, based on this ordinary couple mm. that became millionaires and retired at 52 on really, like, the epitome of an ordinary income. They had The most money they had ever made was $52,000 in a year. And that was the year they came into my office to retire in their, at 52. I'm like, how did you do this? And they gave me their story. And then their story, like you, like you made a decision with your wife to save 50 bucks. I made a decision, I'm going to pay myself first one hour a day of my income. Mm. And then Love I went us. through the, the five things I needed to automate that they automated. And once I had those five things set up, you know, that transformed my entire financial life. Well, it's just there and it's everywhere. But it's everywhere except where it needs to be as far as the information. I got to attend a funeral a couple of years ago. One of the happier celebrations I've ever been a part of. A 94-year-old man who lived in San Francisco. He was a first-generation immigrant from Italy, so he came when he was like three or four years old with his family. The most money he ever made in his life was 27.5. He was a janitor for the Unified School District in San Francisco. Uh, he and his wife, she uh, cleaned out, you know, commercial buildings and did this and did that in the evenings. They live within their means. They raised great kids. They had raised great grandkids. And I'm friends with both their kids and grandkids. And then they would save. And they would save and they started buying a little piece of real estate. And then he would fix the real estate and he would work on the real estate. And that's what he would do on the weekend. So he was doing janitorial work Monday to Friday for the school system and Saturday and Sunday for himself. When he passed away, his estate was valued at $9.4 million. Wow. 27.5 was the most amount of money he ever earned in a year. But he bought real estate in downtown San Francisco and paid it off and paid it off and worked hard and worked hard and was faithful. And the thing about it is, you know, he lived a good life. They didn't have holes in their shoes. They lived a good life. They had a great family. And here's this man's estate being settled where he's left a legacy of love and of wisdom and of care for his kids and his grandkids, and they just loved him. And then all of a sudden, oh, what do we do with all this money that he directed in their will and what to do and how to do it and whatever else? And in fact, his grandson today is my stockbroker. He's a young man with tremendous wisdom because grandma and grandpa fed it on down to mom and dad, and mom and dad fed it on down. And so here's the thing. In today's world, a lot of people are struggling financially, so they're certainly not passing on their wisdom to their kids. In addition to that, you have the dynamic where people get married, and now this household and this household both had different views on how to take care of money, and now they're getting married, and both families might have been broke, but you always grow up thinking, our family was right. How we handle it was right, right? Well, couples and money is one of the hardest things. And, you know, I wrote a book called Smart Couples Finish Rich, and that was my second book. So I wrote the first book, which was Smart Women. Yeah had a lot of women start reading that book and then coming back to me and saying, this is great, but my husband and I can't agree on our finances, and he won't read this book because it says women on it. you got to write a book for couples of money. <laughs> right. So that's what led to Smart Couples Finish Rich, and we went around the country and we started teaching couples everywhere coast to coast 
how to align their values when it comes to their finances. Mm. Because often what happens is we fall in love with our financial opposite. And, and I always mm. say, you know, people are pretty much born one of two ways. You're either born to save or you're born to spend. Yeah. And the funny thing in seminars is that people always immediately know who they are, right? Like, when you say, <laughs> some of you were born to spend, and the person's yeah. like, that's me! And then the other one of you is born to track the money, and you basically came out of the womb with a calculator not wanting to spend, and then the two of you hooked up, and you thought it was sexual chemistry. No, you just tell them what your financial opposite. And so, you know, this stuff just, it's hilarious because it's true. Sometimes you'll see spenders fall in love, and they oh, end boy. up bankrupt, but you don't often see two people who, who say fall in love. Yeah. And so, you know, the question I get asked a lot, well, what do you do if you're in love with the financial opposite? How do you fix that? Mm. And I teach a system by which you look at your values. And I know mm. you're very values-based. And it's right. like, if you can get to the core values of what's really most important to you, and you can align your money with your values, right. then you become unstoppable. So, like, if you say to me, you know, really, family's my most important value, well, great. Then let's look at the way you're spending money and see if it actually matches up with, are you showing up as a father? Are you showing up as a mom? Are you teaching the right lessons to your kids? Mm. And as soon as you start to get clear on your values, you can make faster, clearer, better decisions. Mm. And I've found that that has just helped so many couples fix their financial life. And often it helps them fix it in, like, shockingly, like, in minutes. I mean, I did this Oprah show a long, long time ago where... I had to go help a couple that was on the verge of divorce. And I'll never forget this. They said, well, we're going to go in this house with a live film crew. How are you going to help this couple? Because they're, they're young and they're fighting about money and they're basically living paycheck to paycheck. And they're talking about getting divorced. I'm like, well, I'm going to walk them through this whole values process. And they said, well, are you sure it's going to work? Because we're going to have a camera crew. I'm like, <laughs> I've been doing this for a living. Yes, I'm positive. And literally, we sit down with them. And I walk them through this value circle exercise, which is in the book. And I have them take out a yellow pad of paper and write down their top five values and then talk about it with each other. And you see them in, like, literally, like, in less than seven minutes. They don't show the seven minutes on TV. That would be forever. But, like, in seven minutes, they went from crying and fighting to their whole – you saw them physically change. Mm. Because for the first time, they realized, like, it's actually not about the money. We really do love each other. We've got to get clear on our values, and then they started making financial decisions together as a team. Right. And so I love just helping couples do that because I always say when couples plan together, they win together. Mm, I love that. So too many people were scrambling so hard, and we're not really, we're not really planning. Yeah. I hear all the time, hey, I want to get on the same page as my spouse. And I think first step is to get in the same book. You know, and then later the same chapter. And I think that's where when you find out, hang on a second here, we do have shared values. We do want the same things. We just have different ways of interpreting how to get there. And often I think in that dynamic, the money becomes the political football. You know, you put a budget in place and some people feel controlled by it. And some people feel now I have a sense of security. But at the end of the day, it's about what do we value and then how are we going to get there? There's no doubt. You know, I, I know you like budgets. I, I talk a lot about ways to avoid budgeting, and the way to avoid budgeting is automating everything. So, right. You know, if we can agree on three core things. Number one, we have to put money away for the future. I call it your pay-yourself-first account. Let's agree on how much we're going to put away. You and your wife agreed on $50. Sure. I work on getting couples to agree that if you're going to work from 9 to 5, one hour a day of your income you should keep for the future. You I love that. You should buy your future. So that's one hour a day. Love it. The second thing is let's agree – that we need to have money in case of emergency. So if one of us loses a job, or we both lose our job, or times get tough, we need to agree that we're going to have money to protect our family. Mm-hmm. 
And so you agree on a dollar amount that every time you earn, you're going to set it aside in an emergency account. Mm. Then the third thing you agree on is, well, and this is a big part of it, is we agree on the fact that we're going to ultimately own our own home, Mm -hmm. right? Because we're never going to be rich renting. And so I really push people to buy a home and pay that home off. And the way in which you do that automatically. And the fourth Mm -hmm. thing is we're going to agree on a dream account. And a dream account is you sit down as a couple, and if you're not married and you're listening to this, you can do this on your own. You go, look, here's something I want to do in my life I'm not doing. I'm not doing it because it costs money. Let's open an account. Let's name that account, Mm. whatever that account is. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to go to Europe. Whatever the dream is, you literally open an account. You name the account. You put money every time you earn money Mm. into that account. The way you get a dream to happen is you buy it. And so when I get couples to sort of agree on those four key principles, and the fifth one is often giving back, mm-hmm. if I can get a couple to agree on those five things, then it's just a matter of the math. Right. And again, you know, this is where we differ and we're the same. So in your books, you've often said, hey, I'm not a big fan of budgeting because so many people fail at it and so on and so forth. The reason I became into budgeting is I had a coaching company. So we could kind of get it done. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And you were right. You were right. So many people struggle with it. In our case, we could kind of get it done by physically getting someone over the hump, which kind of helped when the recession came that our clients could stay in business. As you know, my wife is in real estate. Sure. The first hour, as soon as she passed her real estate license, I said, there's three things you're going to do, and we're going to do this today for you. One, we're going to open up your LLC. What's an LLC? I'm like, we're going to set you up with a company. She's like, I'm not making any money yet. I'm like, but you will. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to separate your business from your personal, so we're going to go get you an American Express card. So literally, went online, opened up her LLC, took 15 minutes. Said, now we're going to get you an American Express card. She's like, how am I going to get an American Express card when I don't even have a business yet? I said, watch this. Go online, (laughs) boom, American Express cruiser. Now she's got a business card. So the third thing we're going to do is we're going to get you a bookkeeper because I don't want you trying to budget. I want somebody else doing the budgeting for you. The moment you get paid, she's going to pull the money out and stick it into the account for taxes and for retirement and separate it from the spending money. She's like, but I haven't made any money yet. I'm like, it's okay. We're going to get your bookkeeper. (laughs) So literally in one hour, she's got the LLC, credit card, and the bookkeeper. Well, guess what? Now she's got a huge brokerage business, but she was set up from day one correctly. Yeah. That only took an hour. Yeah, brilliant. You know, you meet people who've been in real estate for 10, 15, 20 years, and they still don't have all these basic things set up. Or you have a lot of entrepreneurs listening right now. Yeah. They don't have bookkeepers. Yeah. They're not setting aside taxes. They're not funding self-employed retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. They don't know where the money's really going. It's, you know, the sad thing about people who are self-employed is they often do a pitiful job on the finances, and they're working so hard, harder than if they were an employee, and they're actually in worse shape. Yep. I agree, and it's those basic fundamentals. Here's the good news. Your wife's killing it in business now, but because she has the principles in place, she's also getting to reap the rewards, you know, and that's the key. Yeah, because it's not what you make, it's what you keep, and, and you put those things in place. Let me switch gears with you for a second, because, you know, I have a lot of female clients in my coaching company. When I read the title, Smart Women Finish Rich, I was like, okay, that's a cool title. But when I started digging down and finding the data, the data is kind of overwhelming. Today, you know, pay quality and whatever else is a real hot, modern topic. This is a book you wrote years and years ago. This is an epidemic that most people are not aware of, that many women by the time of retirement age are much worse off than men. Maybe you can speak to this a little bit. How is it that the gals are ending up in such trouble? Well, actually, it's really simple. The first thing that really impacts women, 
Brian, is that they don't die anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they live a lot longer. Ladies, they laugh when I do that in the yeah. seminars, but it's really true. So, you know, what do women do that men don't do? They go to the doctor on a regular basis. They're healthier, yeah. and they live a lot longer. So they don't live a little bit longer. The actuary tables will tell you that women live seven years longer than men. Right. In the real world, they often live 10, 15, 20 years longer than their husbands. So mm. let's start there. They also marry typically men that are older. So, you know, I have two Grandma Roses. My Grandma Rosa, who helped me buy the first stock, she outlived my grandfather by, I think, 16 years. She mm. passed away at 86. My second Grandma Rose outlived two husbands. She lived to be 97. Wow. And that's, you know, very, very typical. But what happens to women? So first of all, they live longer. So you need more money if you're a woman than if you're a man, which means you actually need to save more. That's number one. Mm. Second thing is that women take off a lot of years for childbearing years from work. Not all women, but mm -hmm. a lot of women do. And when you take off time from your career to have children, it devastates you financially. Because multiple things happen. In America, you're not putting money into Social Security. You're not putting money into a 401k plan. You're not building up a pension plan. Even if you go back to work, if you take just three years off, which is very common, and in many cases it's more, it's seven, eight, nine, or ten years, mm -hmm. you take those years off, your whole career has basically been derailed. You're starting over. Mm. And so it's just unfortunate, but the reality is there's an incredible economic burden of taking time off when you have kids. And then you can go into the issue of, you know, women are often paid less than men, but the two biggest issues are living longer, right. taking time off from work. And then if they disconnect from a career or so on and so forth, if there's a divorce or a major economic correction, then that just seems to compound the whole effect, Oh, right? I also left one more really big thing out. Sometimes, you know, families do everything really well financially, but the husband gets sick first. Mm. It's depressing stuff, but the mm. husband gets sick first, and the family goes through the money for his health care. Mm. He gets sick, and they use a lot of the family wealth mm. to take care of him. Mm. The other thing is that women, unfairly, often it's the daughter who takes care of mom and dad. Mm. And that's another economic issue. Mm. So women bear a lot of financial burden. Mm. What I teach women is that, first of all, you have to look at the reality of that. Okay, It's not that women need pink mutual funds and men need blue mutual funds. Mm. There's all this nonsense that women are more conservative investors than men. Total nonsense, not true. In fact, all the data shows that women make better investors than men. They do more research. They take more time before they jump into a decision. But when they make the decision, they stick to it. Mm. They're better at investing. They're better at commitment. They trade less. Women have all the attributes to be a phenomenal investor. And again, in most cases, they do a better job than their male counterpart. I always say... Mm -hmm. Men will get a stock tip on the golf course and go run. <laughs> Women will not come into my office and say, I was just spinning and I heard this great stock tip. What do you think? Like, that's just not happening. You know, honest to God, I had a conversation with a guy a year ago who was a former pro athlete who was on the golf course and a buddy of his told him about buying thoroughbred racehorses. And he invested millions in thoroughbred racehorses, and he knows me pretty well. And he goes, hey, Brian, I, I know you guys are in the horses with your daughter and whatever else. What's your take on this? I go, you got to be out of your mind. you got to be out of your mind. I go, I invest money in horses because my daughter wants to get to the Olympics. I go, that's something I do with the surplus off the investment, off the investment. I go, that's where I go to lose money. You know, and yeah, so I always say, never invest in anything that eats more than you. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, or eats while you sleep. Well, so the classic was to finish the story. Here's this guy. So he finally tells me, he goes out to Kentucky, and visits the prize million dollar stallion that has one testicle, 
And I'm like, oops, you're going to be a little short on your investment return here, pal. Oh, my gosh. Like you say, he got an advice on the golf course, and his playing days are over, and his ability to replenish that, gone. So I do agree, and I think I love the fact that, you know, what you're saying there and telling people what it actually takes to be an investor, to go make the money. It's not this, you know out-of-this-world type strategy. You don't have to be Warren Buffett Jr. You know, it's being faithful, it's being consistent, it's doing your homework, and then once you make your decision, sticking with it and keep going, you know? Yeah, I'll give one more tip for a lot of women listening right now. So I just told you, you know, the average age of widowhood in this country, when I wrote Smart Women Finish Rich, originally it was 56, and today it's 57. Mm. Okay, so average age of widowhood, 57, and it's been reported that one in four women are broke within two months of their husband dying. Good grief. So, good grief, right? So now, here's what I can tell you, ladies. One of the things that you can do if your family doesn't have a lot of wealth right now, and even if they do have a certain amount of wealth right now, you can go buy a term insurance policy. Mm. And a term insurance policy is so cheap today that you can go out and get a million-dollar term insurance policy on your husband for probably 50 to 100 bucks a month. Call it three bucks a day. And I'll tell ladies, I'll say, you know, instead of asking for roses, <laughs> tell your husband for Valentine's Day, honey, you know what I want? I want a term insurance policy. Right. And again, people will laugh, but like, I've had people do this, and then the, unfortunately the husband's passed away, and they're like, man, that was the greatest thing I ever heard you say, because yeah. life insurance, term insurance, I'm talking term insurance, because that's the cheapest form of insurance you can right. buy. It's just a protection plan. It's not an investment. Mm. That is a great, low-cost vehicle to protect your family. And if you've got kids you absolutely should have some term insurance on both of you, quite frankly. So we're turning lattes into millions, and we're turning roses into insurance policies. I dig this plan right here, brother. Do this, and I, I know there's a whole bunch of people. There's a bunch of folks as well-known as you are, and you've sold all these millions of copies, and you've been on Oprah I don't know how many times, and it's always startling to me when I go see an audience and how many people have never heard anything I've ever given before, and I know there's a bunch of folks who are listening to this today that are like, they are hearing you for the first time and like, you know, you're dripping with all this wisdom. I want to finish on this aspect of what we're talking about. The Automatic Millionaire. You've written a lot of great books. I love this book. I think it's a core curriculum for financial literacy. Talk to the folks today about The Automatic Millionaire. I understand you guys kind of expanded it and updated the original and, and you're kind of bringing out a new edition. Is that right? Yeah, so this book just came back out again. The Automatic Millionaire was brought out originally in 2004, mm. launched it very, very fortunately on Oprah Winfrey. And, you know, the book just exploded. It went all over the world. I think it's been translated into like 15 languages now. We've got a million and a half copies out. And it, quite frankly, it just kept selling and selling and selling, and it's changed so many people's lives. So people say, well, why did you update it? Because 10 years have gone by, right. and the world has changed. The beauty is that the core principles didn't change. So mm. this book is probably 80% of the original content and 20% all the latest technologies on how to put your financial life on autopilot. I used to say, put your financial life on autopilot in less than an hour. Today, with the new companies that are out there, the new robo-advisors, the new apps, the new financial service companies, you can automate your financial life now in many cases in 15 minutes. Mm. And so what I've done in this book this is literally, you can read this book in less than 90 minutes. It is the story of an ordinary couple who became extraordinarily wealthy. They were multimillionaires by the time I met them at 52. They owned two homes free and clear. They had put their kids through college without debt. 
and they had saved almost $2 million. So they'd done all the right things, and they did not an ordinary income. And I teach you how to do all the right things, too, by basically following in their footsteps. And in the book, we put in there a, a tool that we've used that's helped well over a million people. It's called the Automatic Millionaire Blueprint. Mm. It lays out for you the actual map of how to do this at home. It's a great book, and on our website, they can go to finishrich.com mm-hmm. or davidbach.com. They can actually get an autographed copy at the top of our website. But if you go to our website, we've got a free newsletter that we put out every week. It's called Three Bullets Sunday, and all the books are on the website. You can get the book on amazon.com, pretty much wherever you go. It's in stores. Again, I've done 12 books. This is the book I always tell people to start with. Mm. A lot of questions, what should I start with? Start with this book because you really can read it and act on it really quickly. It's all the basic principles that you need to know. Yeah, very basic, but they're called fundamentals. You know, I think when you have the fundamentals, life can be a little more fun, to be honest with you. I just don't think most people have these fundamentals in place. I think when people's world get rocked, the lack of fundamentals gets exposed And when boom times come, people abandon those fundamentals to go get caught up. And they've, whether it's dot com booms, whether it's stock market booms, whether it's, you know, the mortgage crisis we went through, people become victims to those massive sways and their fortunes, you know, they disappear and they become broke, you know? Uh, You know, it gives me chills. As you just said that, I had a moment. I went to this speech in Miami and I was getting, it was a huge venue. I was getting ready to walk on stage. I was in front of 18,000 people. And, the guy who's micing me up behind stage is micing me up, and he says, I have to thank you, and he starts crying. He's like, I just want you to know that I read The Automatic Millionaire. He's like, I read it like nine years ago, and I put in place that emergency account that you talked about, mm-hmm. and he said, my wife and I both lost our jobs when mm-hmm. the recession hit, and he said, if we hadn't had that money set aside, we would have lost our home. Yeah. We literally would have been homeless. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, he, he kind of got teared up, and he I gave him a hug before I walked on stage. <laughs> By the way, talk about getting fired up before you walk <laughs> yeah. on stage in front of 18,000 people. You've got somebody micing you up that tells you, yeah. I, you know, I read your book and I just did what you told me to do and I automated my emergency account. He's like, I didn't have any emergency money when I read the book. Hmm. And he said, but by the time we both got laid off, and they both got laid off like within two weeks of each other. A lot other, of that happened. He said, we had, you know, like nine months of emergency money set aside. And that's what saved us. You know what you should do? You should hire that guy to travel with you everywhere you speak. It'd be the greatest pregame motivation of all time, you know? How fabulous is that? It's the good stuff. That's what's so great about what we do. I just had that happen last week when I spoke at the military. The guy who gets up to speak says, David, I was broke 14 years ago. Yeah. And he says, I'm worth over $10 million now. Wow. And he same thing. He read The Automatic Millionaire, and this is classic. You know how he made his money? He started buying real estate. His first thing he ever bought was a mobile home, which we all know doesn't go up in value. Sure. Now he owns three mobile home parks. Yeah, that'll do it for you. <laughs> That's not terrible at all. It's fabulous stuff. You know, we could go on and on, and maybe we'll take another shot at this uh, one of these days. You're a fountain of knowledge on this subject. It's so helpful. I normally don't be pumping people's books and whatever else. I pump your stuff all the time because it just flat out works. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, it's great stuff, and it just it helps people. And it's like, okay, somebody can spend $20 and get what they need to take care of every other dollar they ever make. I mean, that's a pretty good return. But before I'm going to let you go, 
We're going to do a little tradition we do here at the podcast for our first-time guests. I'm sure you'll be a regular contributor. But um, this is a, a great chance. We love to get successful people, what makes them tick, what motivates them, what gets them going. And we've asked these five questions to all kinds of fabulous people and gotten some really across-the-board answers. No wrong way to answer them, but... Uh, hey, wait, are you going to ask me if I were a tree? What yeah, kind of no, tree no, no. I, Joe Buck does that at the end of his undeniable, you know, would you would you rather be invisible or would you rather be able to fly? No. But these are a little a little more practical. So here's the first one. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Wow. I think... The best piece of advice I've ever gotten, and I'm trying to teach this to my kids right now, is my father really taught me. Um, my dad, Marty Bach, such a good man, still alive. Love you, Dad. He really taught me to treat all people the same. Mm. You know, from the janitor on up, mm. treat everybody the same because people are people. Mm. And I think from that, that was a really a, a great gift. Yeah, that is a yeah. gift. More wisdom. More wisdom. Beautiful. Okay, number two. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Well, you know, Brian, I'm going to answer this one kind of funny because my son asks me this every day on the way to school who's seven. He, Dad, what superhero power do you want? I always tell him, <laughs> I want to be able to fly. And he, come on, Dad, that's what you said yesterday. Okay, but I still want to be able to fly. So that's what I want. I want to be able to fly. But what talent do I want? The talent that I'm working on that I didn't have naturally I'm not a naturally calm person. I should mm. say, actually, we're all naturally calm inside of us, but I've always been very driven and very type A and very, mm. you know, you know my energy level. Yeah. And so I didn't come by that gift of calmness naturally, but I pursued that gift, and I, I started learning. I learned how to meditate in 2013, mm. and so meditation is now, I now meditate twice a day. That's and great. And learning how to meditate has now provided me that gift of presence and calmness that I didn't have prior to 2013. That's incredible, yeah. I've often thought, you know, you've said that to me before, and you moved from San Francisco to New York City, of all places, and, uh, you know, that's not designed. But the true contemplatives can learn to be at peace in the marketplace. And so that's a great gift. That's something that's really helped me in my life. So that's kind of neat that you've gotten into that space. Do you meditate? I do. I practice a discipline called contemplative prayer, which okay. uh, was taught by a guy named Thomas Keating. And uh-huh. uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, mine's from a faith tradition. It's about practicing the presence of God and getting just quiet, 20 minutes a day. I have a little rocking chair that's uh, mm-hmm. made out of koa wood from Hawaii, and it's in my closet. It's actually in my I have a nice closet, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I go in there first thing in the morning. And I go in there last thing at night, and it's amazing the sea of and the waves of thought that just are being processed to the day that I'm trying to get unattached to. And so it's yeah. uh, trying to get unattached and you know, letting that stuff flow by. It's amazing how uh, wrapped you can get as a person. You know, people always say they don't have time to meditate. And the truth of the matter is if you don't have time to meditate, you need to make time to meditate, right? Sure. I, I get up at 5.30 and I meditate in the morning. It's yeah. 5 o'clock now. I've already meditated a second time. That's great. There's just no greater gift you can give yourself. And it's free. Yep. Yes, sir. You know, it's free. It means that you'll live longer. You'll right. be happier. It's, it's a great gift. Well, it certainly uh, helped me. I think I also wrap tight kind of guy. And I think... Being wrapped tight is a gift because it gives you drive, 
But if you don't do something like this, you become a person full of anxiety, and that's not a gift. So great, we're on birds of a feather on that one. What book has been most instrumental in your life or influential? It's funny, I got asked this question uh, two days ago on another podcast, so I, I apologize if somebody happened to hear that one too, but I'll give the same answer, which is that the book that started me down the road of self-improvement and positive development was the golden classic, uh, a book called How to Win Friends and Influence yep. People by Dale Carnegie. Mm. That all-time classic book is a book I read at age 19 mm. in Waikiki at the beach. <laughs> that book changed my life. I mean, right. I, I was like, here I was in college. I picked that book up randomly, like at a drugstore, mm-hmm. reading it on the beach, and that book just exposed me to, wow, these incredible, basic, foundational principles yep. that still to this day work. And they say you should go back and reread that book every year. And just even telling you this reminds me I should reread that book. Well, I have. And it's interesting, you know, because he is the grandfather of the modern personal growth and development business. All the the self-help stuff started with Carnegie and came out of that. You know, it was interesting. When our home burned down in 2007, we lost, between my wife and I, and we homeschooled at the time, we lost over 5,000 books. Hmm. We had an entire room. It's very rare to have a basement in California. We had an entire basement area from floor to ceiling with books. And, uh, you know, once you get over that and you get over the loss, I kind of said, okay, I'm building this new house. I've got all these shelves, and I literally don't own a book. Can you imagine this? Like, I, I've been collecting and reading books. My wife is a voracious reader, and we had no books. And I thought, okay, I'm going to turn this into a positive. What a delicious opportunity to go, what book am I going to buy first, and what book am I going to buy second? The very first book I bought that I read that I put back on these shelves. So I had floor-to-ceiling shelves all around the house, and I only had one book at one stage, and that was How to Win Friends and Influence People. Are so, you serious? Yes, sir. Okay, so now people are going to think this is rigged, but we didn't discuss this no, sir. this interview. Yeah. And so that's, that's amazing. That's really... You know, we really are two birds of stuff. Yeah, well... we haven't been together in years. <laughs> like, we really should do something else together. We should. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, I find a lot of common influences with people who are principle-based, value-based, and bringing some real practical stuff, you know, there is nothing new under the sun. We've all been influenced by certain people. And the truth of the matter is, you know, there's people listening here. I'm an immigrant house painter's son who came to America with 92 bucks in his wallet and then got into a serious motorcycle accident and had 250 grand in debt within two years as a teenager. You know, here's a guy that, you know, was buying stock in McDonald's as a nine-year-old but at the end of it, it was, okay, this guy's a millionaire, and this guy helps people become millionaires, and that guy's a millionaire, and he helps people become millionaires. But the thing is, it didn't happen by accident. And we've been putting this good stuff into our head. We have these practices. When we hear, okay, meditation is good, boom, I'm going to try that. I'm going to practice that. You're saying, I started a practice at 2013. This is after you're already hugely successful. You've already been on Oprah. You've already sold 7 million copies of your book. And at that stage of the game, you're willing to take on a new discipline. And that's the deal. And that's what really where the bond is, is we're still growing. We're not done. Uh, you know, uh, in the back of my podcast here, we're on Skype together right now. There's a sign, which is from Michelangelo's workshop, and it says, Ancaro Imparo, I am still learning. And that was the sign that was behind him when he passed. So if people pick up that, and that's why these kinds of free flow type of conversation produce that stuff I think it gives people a different insight and go, you know what? These are a couple of ordinary fellas, and they're doing similar things, and now they don't live ordinary lives. Maybe I can do it too. So that's my favorite thing. Okay, this will be harder. Favorite song 
or band or it's like if your kids are listening oh that's a dad song well so you know that one is it's neil diamond i am i said come on yep okay is. now i want you to know all right this is getting sick I can, do a, I can do a mean version of that song by the way all right this is getting sick i have said on other podcasts with other people that was the first 45 i ever bought was I know? I, I kid you not, but wow. you know. And I've had other guests though, who've said like I had Daniel Goleman, who's he's the guy who basically discovered emotional intelligence as a science, and his favorite song was "I Am I Said" by Neil Diamond too. So we're in good company, pal. Apparently, this is the formula. Well, I went and saw Neil Diamond like six months ago with <laughs> my you? wife. I mean, he's still out there cranking away. The concert was packed. He saw yeah. him Madison Square Garden had seats right near him. Uh, I was definitely one of the younger people in the audience. But <laughs> no, you weren't. <laughs> I, I was. I was one of the younger people in the audience. It was. Just, I mean, everybody was cranking, man. Yeah. You know, well, I can tell you, America. he's doing well. I invited him to come sing at our Mastermind Summit this year, and he said gladly for a million dollars. Yeah, we're so, gonna guess that. Yeah, that would make sense. So, so you know, he's doing well. <laughs> Okay, last but not least, what movie do you watch over and over again? You're surfing the channels, it comes on, you always stop. What's what's that one going to oh, be? Oh, wow. So, I, truthfully, I don't watch movies over and over again, but if I okay. were watching movies over again, then the movie, it's always a James Bond movie. Okay. I'll always stop on James Bond, and the movie of James Bond is The Spy Who Loves Me. Oh, really? The Spy Who Loves Me, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I now, my, son, my young son is named James Bach. I told him he was named after James Bond, but it's not really true. He's named after his grandfather. <laughs> Bach. James Bach. It sounds good. It, it sounds good. good. Well, listen, pal, I've had a blast being with you today. I hope you've had fun being our guest. Great. You're a great man. You've got great insights. You've put your wisdom down in very practical forms for people to be able to follow. I'm very thankful you've done that. And it's helped a lot of people, and it's helped a lot of people we've been trying to help. Like I say, I hope we get to continue to do that again for years and years to come. I think we're going to continue to do more of this and others. I got some advance I need to get you signed up for to go do some things for me. But I really appreciate you being on today, and I I hope uh, the folks listening to this understand the gifts they've been given here in the last 50 minutes or so that if they'll apply them, can change their life. So thanks for being my guest, Dave. This was really, really fun. Great to reconnect with you. I really enjoyed it. You bet. Well, as we finish here today, again, thanks for uh, joining us. I I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Dave and I had a great time. I hope you guys had a great time listening in. As you guys know, our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can. We don't do advertising. We don't do sponsors. All we ask is that if you know someone who'd be blessed by hearing this information, you share the podcast with them. If you enjoyed this podcast today, and head over to iTunes and leave us a review. We're also on Android, so you can download your favorite podcast app from Google Play and tune in for free. We love hearing your feedback, so keep those reviews coming. As I finish here today, I want to leave you with a little Irish blessing that my grandfather always said. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again... May God hold you all in the hall of his hand. We'll see you next time.